Welcome back, everybody, to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, and with us is Jason Salentis. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great, Donovan. We're in, we're in a fantastic room set up by How, How Design Live is set up for us. So we're, we're here all week. It's fantastic. You've been here for a little while. Yeah, I came in yesterday on Tuesday. And you're, you're speaking here at How, right? Yes, I am, yeah. What's, what's the talk? Today I'm going to be talking about artificial intelligence and how it's going to impact what we do as designers. And and how, how will this? Like, like is this something we need to we need to worry about? Is it is it about how it's gonna take our jobs? Or is it about or is or is it really just a an homage to the big Steven Spielberg movie that he that he, you know, since Kubrick wasn't around to actually do it? <laughs> I, I think those of us that are big fans of sci-fi and thrillers and comic books, it it might be easy for us to fall into this pessimistic pond of sorts and and that's only natural because we're afraid of what we don't know but I yeah they're gonna take our jobs and then they're gonna kill us like that's that's just there might be a third step in there I don't know but I think take job is one kill us is third there's some there is a step two yeah maybe lock you out of your laptop that could be does it. that come in somewhere in the middle or that, I don't know I don't know I hope I hope your talk explains this more and lets us know. I'm going to touch on that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think it's going to be more of a tool, just like any of the tools we use right now. And so so you think we can use artificial intelligence to help us design or to help us solve the problems or or what do you this this isn't going out for weeks after you spoke. Don't don't think it's giving away something that that someone's going to hear in a couple hours. No, that that's fine. I think that there's already a lot of tools that are out there that we can use every day and some people might already be using. Some of our clients might be using them. Take for instance some automated scheduling tools. You know, if you're a freelancer, how much of your time do you have to spend? booking your schedule or finding an agreed-upon schedule, or even if you're an art director or creative director, there's automated tools right now that can do that for you. Oh, like when you get the calendar thing where it says, here's three times, click on which ones work, and then eight people click on it, and then, yeah, I never figured that, I guess that is yeah, artificial intelligence. that can be a little bit like that. It's determining some patterns, it's looking at your schedule, but there's some things that are even more sophisticated, and there's services you can sign up and pay for, and automated emails will be sent out in a conversational style and your client or your staff members may not realize it but this automated assistant that's sending these emails out is an artificial intelligence program now i don't know i mean i would think the negative would be that you don't actually know what's being sent out but but in reality i may not know what i'm sending out anyway so <laughs> so i don't i don't know if i see a downside in my case other than my email box hits inbox 0 for the first time in who knows when. Right. And you've hit on something that's going to be a determining factor. You know, what do we find as valuable or invaluable? Some people really like to have the control of going through that process and taking care of scheduling issues. Other people, they would prefer not to have any control. They just want to have that appointment booked. But, you know, appointments and schedules and calendars, that's just one component. That's kind of on the operational side. But we're going to be seeing more and more design tools that have some kind of machine learning component or artificial intelligence component that can make light of the work. And have you used any of these tools in your own work yet? Or have you, have you talked to anyone who's used them or do you think they're still coming? I've done a lot of research over the past couple of years. Maybe uh, this might be the second year that I've 
that I've spent looking at it. And I've not used the tools myself. I've looked at them. I've read some reviews. I've tried to talk to some of the people who are you know, running these companies. And the companies and the, uh, the promise that they talk about, it sounds ambitious. It sounds like it's going to be able to solve a lot of problems for designers who want to free themselves up to do either more design work or maybe less design work. It just depends. And, and, that, and when you even say design work, do you mean like the thought, the research, or do you actually mean the actual like physical craft part of it? Some of what I've seen up to this point is about craft, composition, even refinement of composition. And then there are some tools that haven't been revealed yet. And there's just a little bit of marketing that's being done by these companies here and there talking about we're in the process of using artificial intelligence to improve your design or improve your design workflow. And they talk about data mining and getting hold of content and being aware of user clicks and finding a way to make that work for us. So some of it I've had my hands on in so much as talking with these people and reading about it, but some of the other companies out there, they've, they've not revealed what exactly they're going to do. Probably because they're also determining what they can do that won't involve the robot killing them at the end. <laughs> of course, that, that's critical. I mean, yeah. if James Cameron has taught me anything, and, and to be honest, he's probably taught me everything I know. That is, that is like step one of artificial intelligent rules. Yes. And then there's Papyrus, which James Cameron taught you about that, I imagine? Yes, yes. I didn't say all the lessons I learned from, from James and from Avatar are good ones. I'm just saying that that's where I learned everything. Yeah. I think that the level of pessimism or maybe fear that some people might have, people who are aware of these tools and what could be coming, I think it's the same kind of pessimism and hesitance that people had in the mid-80s and the late-80s when you had these little tan boxes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they had software on them, and they had a mouse, and it got people away from light tables, and it got people away from RubyLith, and it got them working on computers. And you know, it, it, even before the Macintosh or the Macintosh Plus, I think that there was that very same kind of fear. And there is that thing where we might be in the same area where, where they were back then where you look at it and you're like, well, it's not there yet, and you just assume it never will be. Yeah, yeah. You're and, absolutely right. And I know back then there was an issue where they said the craft isn't there. When, when people would see the, the Mac pronounced, they'd say this looks very amateurish, but they didn't realize how fast it was going to fix itself. Yeah. Um, I remember a guy I worked with years ago, he, he talked about when he was, he was a, he's a little older than me, he said he was going to college and it was, it was his dream college, mm. but, but he went there and all of a sudden the dean or the chair, I don't know, I don't know what it was called, came out and they had like a department meeting for all the design students and held up one of those printouts from, from that little beige box. Yeah. And he just said, Mac art, there will never be a place in graphic design for <laughs> Mac art. And yeah. And the guy I worked with, he goes, look, I, I may not have known much in my life, and I may not have known much at the time, but I knew he was wrong. And I knew that if I didn't transfer and go to a college where they embrace the computer, I wouldn't be employed in the long term. And he basically said, 
And he said it was hard because that was his dream college. And he was like, mm. I don't know if he if he waited till the end of the semester, but he dropped out and transferred. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love hearing those stories because I came out of that generation where there was that paradigm shift. You know, you had the computers that were in the classrooms, and they may or may not have been used, depending on the university right. and depending on the instructor. A parent right now, you know, and I'm a parent who's seeing children who are experiencing a very similar paradigm shift of sorts. We've got a generation who's grown accustomed to using Google Now and Siri, and those are the kinds of assistance that they're going to have in the future at their jobs. And we also have a generation that thinks that Papyrus is a proper typeface for a giant Hollywood movie. <laughs> Speaking of which, so in 2020, let's get back on this James Cameron thing. Yeah. This Avatar thing. So in 2020, is that, that that's the new release date for the beginning of the new Avatars, last I heard? I have no idea. I believe they announced that recently. <laughs> And then there's just going to be like one a year for who knows how many. I think I think they got four or five or thirty of these yeah. lined up. And then the prequels come out probably. Yeah. Will that bring a resurgence of papyrus? Because it, it kind of died down a little bit. But is that going to bring it back? Like he's not going to switch typefaces here mid after that, right? I don't think so. You know, oddly enough, I uh, I I tried to come up with a solution a few years ago to all of that and. Um, it's actually an article that I wrote where I tried to propose a Kickstarter that would allow me to go back in time and talk to James Cameron and somehow change his mind about Papyrus, but that Kickstarter never took off. So all I can say is that whatever typeface James Cameron goes with, I don't think he's used artificial intelligence to help him make that decision. Mm, okay. <laughs> but if he did... But if he did, that could be one of the tasks, maybe, where an algorithm or some machine learning tool could make other recommendations. So maybe by 2020, 2024, whatever, when he's working with his design team, maybe instead of just going to Papyrus, maybe there'll be some set of alternate recommendations or alternate choices. Or it'll redraw a completely new typeface. A new typeface might be nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to be right back with Jason Slentis. So, so for those of the listeners who don't know, Jason Salentis, you're still you're still a professor over in North Carolina, right? Yeah, uh, I live in North Carolina, and I actually teach in South Carolina. It, it's a bit confusing. Oh, real? Okay, that's okay. Right. Yeah, you're over in the Carolinas. Yeah, you can just yeah. <laughs> what what university are you at? I teach at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And and you used to way back when you know we know each other from AIG Nebraska. Yeah. Before before you moved away, and 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 then you went. For the for those you've been on the show years ago, but for those who didn't listen, Jason was one of the one of the writers over at Speak Up, and now you've been like become a thought leader in our profession. So when you say so, when people say like, well, he hasn't used artificial intelligence, why is he researching it for two years? It's because Jason's written numerous books and articles, and, and you know speaks at these conferences. So that's that's obviously it makes sense that you know you're researching and you're thought leader in in our design industry. You don't necessarily have a use for it, but you want to experiment why. What, what got you into, uh, into deciding about writing books and researching as a, as a tool for design? Well, I think that it, it just stems from the fact that there's so much out there. And as designers, practicing designers, 
And you and you also do some freelance and, and some other project work as well. Yeah. So that you're not a practicing designer, but yeah. but that's not necessarily your eight to five. Yeah, yeah. Really, my eight to five is teaching at the university and working with the students and working with them through the creative process. And when I'm not at the university, I'm doing some research on articles. Could be for magazines. Could be for potential books. But you know, getting my hands on that stuff and and getting it out there and sharing it, I think that. I hope that readers find this information valuable and I think it's important to help the readers connect the dots to all the things that are out there in addition to design and even things that are steering design and technology is one of them that's just one of the kind of beats that I write about I also write about typography and graphics but you know technology is one of the tools that we use every day and what's next what's the future yeah, because because no, there is no technology that this is going to stay around for a while. It's it's all it's all it's always been about what's next when it comes when you use the word technology. Yeah, it, there's definitely a constant evolution. Um, it, it's all about change. I think if there is one word, it, it's change. How is technology changing us, and then how does technology change moving forward? What what are the next set of tools we're going to be using? And even just like you were talking about earlier with your friend who was at that university, you know, that was a tool, that was that little box was something that had and still does have a lot of potential. And to just shut it out like that, for whatever reason that instructor had, to just shut it out like that was enough to have that person make a decision that they weren't in the right place. Yeah, because and so not not all technology sticks around, but some of it, the ideas behind it may. So even though the you know Apple IIe didn't stick around, yeah, it it morphed into the Macintosh and into what we have now. And even the old operating systems we have, there's not much that's recognizable from when I learned the computer to what it is now. But it all it, it evolved into it. How do you think? What do you think? What do you think is next in in the Besides artificial intelligence and design, like, is there any like styles or stuff you come in or? I, I think mobile was the last one everyone talked about, but who knows? Who knows where? Do you have any idea where it's going from there, or you just have guesses? Or as as a university professor, I, I see what the students see, and I really am very fortunate to be able to see the design world through them, and not only the work they create, but also the work that they look at. And then also, you know, having written for some of these magazines and, and blogs, I get to speak with and interview designers from all over the world. The one thing that I've noticed in the past couple of years has been deeper interest in the hands-on. And there's been a lot of talk about you know, this handcrafted aesthetic and this arts and crafts movement. And I do agree with people who've said that this arts and crafts handcrafted movement that we're seeing is because people want to touch and work with the tools that are different from their very smooth keyboards on their MacBooks, their very smooth trackpads. They really want to get their hands dirty. And that human element, that human element's never going to go away, no matter what kind of technology we see in the next 5, 10, or 20 years. I think that that human element is going to become even more important. I think, and I think part of it too is that things are so easy to make them look very polished and very quickly. Like now you can print out a flyer very simply that looks very professional, types 
super clean, that since that is so simple to do, I think a lot of times the handcraft had started coming in to all of a sudden stand out amongst it. I think there was that element to it as well. Yeah, and even getting into, I'm glad you brought up the typography. Um, Jerry Leonidas, who's a professor at the University of Reading, he teaches in the Master of Arts in Type Design program. He's got this great lecture that I watched, and he talks about how typography on the web has evolved, and you know we're at this really amazing place right now, but a lot of the, the handcrafting, so to speak, that designers would do with web typography there's JavaScript now to take care of that. So, you know, I think that that's the kind of automation of sorts that is going to be happening when it comes to fine-tuning. And the designer's place in the world, it could be one where maybe it's the machine who's prepping everything and then we refine it. And there's people who are really great at that. And I see a lot of students of mine that are really great at that. You know, they might have trouble with you know, starting out, but refining it and fine-tuning it, they're really great at that. And then on the flip side, maybe it's the designer who's roughing everything up, and just kind of blocking it in, and then you've got some program that's just finishing and fine-tuning it. I mean, what happens if that's where we're going? What happens if it's more of a partnership? Where you're just art directing, but instead of having a designer under you, you just have a laptop. Yeah, yeah, and think of all of the freelancers and independent designers and artisans out there who have all of this work, and you know they're they're really taking on a lot, maybe a lot more than they should, but they're able to do it. Could be sixty, seventy-hour work weeks, eighty-hour work weeks, whatever. But imagine if they did have some tools to automate that end of the process, or free them up to maybe do other things. Because you really shouldn't be working 80 hours a week in this profession. <laughs> I mean, I know people do, but but you, you you lose all your inspiration if you're just sitting in front of the computer all day long. It can happen, yeah. I hear about people that do it. I don't know if it really is realistic to be doing that 80 hours a week. But Not I long term. I, no. know, I know there's a week here and there where you might have to, but you can't. Yeah. I mean, you just don't see anybody. You'd be like... It's not sustainable, but there are plenty of people that do it. And then with the technology too, the thing about the machine learning and some of this big data and neural networks, and there's a lot of words out there that we hear, in order for those things to work, it's, they've got to collect information. Does that mean that some people who aren't going to want their data collected, are they going to need to opt out? Are they going to be able to opt out? Are they going to have VPNs to prevent themselves from being um, skimmed and scraped for their process? I think so. Uh, I mean, the only thing that points to that for me is something that many operating systems have right now and even some, some websites where you can opt out of analytics being you know, collected or amassed. And then you have a company like Uber that still leaves all the tracking on even when you delete the app and get in trouble for it. I wouldn't know about that. I don't use Uber. Okay. Yeah, they just got busted like a week ago, <laughs> yeah. but where it came out that they they made it on their Apple phones, where even when you delete their app, they still tracked things on it. They hid some stuff in the code, I guess. That, that's that's too bad. <laughs> well, maybe there'll be an artificial intelligence that goes around and just finds the companies that don't do things properly. We'll see. That's possible. You're getting into something else that that could be a, a benefit. Um, it's a little bit of, of auditing 
that, that could be happening, and, and we might see that. Okay. We're going to be right back with one last section with Jason Salantis. So let's go back to Papyrus. So you, 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 you love it. You love, <laughs> I mean, it's, it ranks, it's, it's like Papyrus, Helvetica, um, Garamond, like his all-time like classics. Not so much, no. And, and, but, but you've written about it. Yeah, I do. Like, like a yeah. love letter? Like, uh, it's a little bit of a love letter. It's a little bit of a satire. Yeah, yeah. this, this uh, pseudo-faux Kickstarter campaign where I tried to raise, I don't know how many millions or billions of dollars to build um, a life-size Terminator replica and have it travel back in time. Yeah. To meet with James Cameron and talk about Papyrus. It might work. I think that's the only way to talk to him about it. Yeah, you've got to have artificial intelligence and you've got to put it to work. It's just another, it's just another way, I think, that designers could, could find a use for artificial intelligence. It's really a far out there possibility, but yeah, in this context of having the Terminator artificial intelligence travel back in time to help with a typographic decision, far-fetched, but yeah. Okay. Now, we do, have, we do have student listeners, and, and, you, and you teach students. What's, what's the advice that you're giving right now? Like, what's the best things, or what are, either what's the best advice you got for students now, or what are the questions they're asking you? You know, as far as the advice that I give students goes, there's that design advice about the work and, and the practice and their portfolio. I do feel like one of the things that I will consistently tell the students about drive deals with having some drive and enjoying what you do and being resilient. That's, that's really important, especially for young designers. Uh, it's not going to get any easier and you've got to learn how to cope with some of the failures and learn from your mistakes. And resilience, thick skin, it just goes a long way. Yeah, because even even the things that are successful won't be successful if you do them exactly the same again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There is this kind of one-trick pony lecture of sorts that I'll give, and it's it's really trying to encourage the students to not be doing the same thing over and over again, whether it's using a typeface or even a color palette or even an aesthetic. It's just about now, switching it up. Now, if it's for the same client, Go, go ahead. Oh yeah, sure. But, Brand standards, yeah, yeah. That, definitely. And what? And what, what's the what's the hot thing when you mentioned about portfolios? What is it like? You know, I mean, those change too. Like, what's the current size? Is it is it digital? Do you is it still printed? What 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 are you seeing? Like, yeah. and I know this also goes regional sometimes. Yeah, it can. That's a great point, Donovan. It can be regional. It can also be discipline based. The web designers will have a digital portfolio, but. We encourage our students to have an online presence, and in the capstone class, we actually require them to have an online portfolio as well as a printed, a book portfolio. Do you make them do their own website, or do you have like like a Behance portfolio is good enough? They have to do the website, and I do allow them to use a content management system. And some of them will go with sites like Squarespace, which is very popular. Some of them will do WordPress. The web designers, those that graduate with a degree in web design, interactive design, they have to 
code it from the ground up, and they do a great job. And on the printed portfolio, do they is it full design pages or is it actual samples in a book, or is that kind of all over the board as well? The design portfolio that's that's a printed portfolio. It's it's a book, and it's it's got pages, it's got spreads, and it's got their work photographed. It's got some samples of their work that may be able to be taken out and looked at. Okay, so it's it's evolved a little bit. I noticed. I mean, the biggest change I think since we were in school is books are a lot smaller than they were when we were in school. Oh yeah. Yeah. Part of it is I don't know if they have to transport them easier or or, if, or what it is, but, but yeah, books we had were big and then all of a sudden somewhere in there they went back to, they're small. Yeah, you're right. The books have gotten small. I still have my old portfolios that were, golly, I don't know, 12 by 16 or 18 by 24, but they were gigantic. Yeah, and that's what still we have, but it never leaves my office, so I don't care. <laughs> like, like, is it you know? It shows people show up, we show our work, and it's great. It shows it full size. It's a big portfolio, but I'm like, if I had to carry this around, yeah, I'd be moving. I'd yeah. be moving to a small one. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up about the change in size. Maybe that's just because everything's gotten smaller. You know, computers have gotten smaller, phones have gotten smaller. Is that why portfolios have gotten smaller, or is it a matter of just like you say, convenience? People just have made them smaller to save space and not clutter up somebody's desk. I think that was one of the things that stuck with me the most during some early job interviews while I was in college and out of college. I had that very gigantic portfolio from art and design school and I would bring them to these desks and creative directors would have to clear their desks or we'd have to go find a conference room and I do remember one piece of feedback I got from somebody saying, you need to think about getting a smaller portfolio. <laughs> and, and I it, did. It, or you should say, well, you need to think about starting to get a bigger desk. <laughs> yeah. What's your problem? I don't want to work here. I only work with a place that gives me an eight foot long desk. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would have been wise to throw it back at him like that. Well, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what would have happened. <laughs> well, I, th I, think, I think when you go back in time to fix this papyrus debacle, yeah. Go, go back and, and, and fix young, young Jason Salentis to yell at this guy. <laughs> Maybe. All right, Jason, it's been, it's been fantastic. We look forward to seeing, seeing your next books, next articles, and, and hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dustlab. Find out more at myspace.com slash dustlab. Thank you.